Hello, Lee. Uh, welcome to the Gitte Film Fix podcast. Ah, Jepen, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. Anyway, I'm joined as always by Lee Carlo. Say hello, Lee. Carlo, yes. Ah, oh, ciao, ciao, Lee, ciao. Uh, no, we're not joined by Jeremy today. Unfortunately, he uh, couldn't go to see House of Gucci t- the, uh, this week, but. That's okay. We're going to carry on. We're going to do our best to review this movie. I've got a, a lovely uh, Chianti Classico here uh, to share with you. And uh, we will be reviewing this film. And here is the trailer. It was a name that sounded so sweet. So seductive. Synonymous with words. Style. Power. But that name was a curse, too. I've been a Gucci all my life. Your name is in the history books. Paolo, you are Gucci. You need to dress the part. It's chic. She needs new blood. It's time to take out the trash. They're my family. So am I. You picked a real firecracker. She's a handful. Bravo. So Lee, um... I like how you've deepened your voice now. This week we saw House of Gucci. Um, and... You brought up the other day um, that you listened to the Ringer podcast, The Big Picture, before you saw um, <clears throat> before you saw uh, King Richard. So I'm wondering. It was um, after, but yes. Oh, it was. <clears throat> yeah. But, I mean, but you listened. But you. I'm sorry, but you you listened to it before the podcast because I know yes, yes, you yes, had a yep. lot of notes that were similar to what you yep. what we heard. Um, I, I did the same for this film uh, just because I was excited. I knew they were excited to see it. Um, so I was I would say that I was sort of prepped for the style of this film. Um, and I think I kind of went in with their appreciation for the movie. They liked it a lot, the two of them, Amanda Dobbins and Sean Fennessy. Um, critics, as you mentioned, that we both like and, re- and revere. Um, and uh, so... Um, I'm wondering, Lee, for you generally, does a little prep help a movie like this? Like, does hmm. a little, does a little, does knowing kind of what to expect or, or how to appreciate it, like much like you know, you telling me to sort of look at the legs of this wine or or look at the color or the the nose. I'm pretty sick right now, so I can't smell that much. But um, you know, yeah. sometimes it helps to have a little guide with you. It does a little bit. Now, I listened to that podcast today um, after I saw the movie. Uh, so I had formed my own opinions before hearing theirs. But in regards to your question and to use your wine analogy, uh, I've often suggested that you know a certain amount of information can be detrimental. Um, if I tell you that that wine you're drinking is a $100 bottle, you're going to expect the quality of a $100 bottle. If I tell you it's a $10 bottle, it's going to change your expectations. It's going to change your impression of that wine. 
You may like it better. You may like it less, regardless on either end of that spectrum. Um, knowing what these particular critics said about this movie and you having that information going in makes me very curious about your thoughts on this movie. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think expectations, wherever they come from, can have can have you know dueling impacts right like you can it can prepare you for it, it can put you in a place to you know see the movie as it's intended perhaps but it can also you know really hurt the movie in the, or I wouldn't even say really hurt it but it can impact in a way that a movie like you know inception may have been impacted where we were just you know, more excited about that than any movie we'd ever seen. And while we love that movie, leaving the theater it had no chance to live up to those expectations. Mm. So I don't really know exactly how to answer your question without revealing my thoughts on the movie. Okay. Um, I guess, I guess if I were going into this movie, having not seen the trailer or anything, expecting this to be like a, an Academy Award contender, a, a serious drama, I'd probably leave a lot uh, I probably leave pretty disappointed. I mean, this movie is pretty over the top. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it it can be useful to know what to look for and know what to appreciate about it. And, um, yeah, uh, th- th- that's why I ask. I think it was helpful for me to enjoy this movie more uh, than I may have would have. And I'm not saying that I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it. I'm saying I think I enjoyed it more because. I had the perspective of our colleagues over at the big picture. Our colleagues, yeah. Um, so they pointed out that this movie is a bit satirical and self-aware and maybe even borders on camp at times. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that impression ent- entirely while I was watching this movie. It's certainly over the top. I mean, the accents right from the beginning are very exaggerated. The acting is really hammed up now you can take that one of two ways as they talk about on that podcast as well you can appreciate that for what they're trying to do and perhaps a a satirizing something here i didn't because i'm not entirely sure what they were satirizing to me it was for a large part of this movie very distracting now Mm. in in the case of some of the performances i was able to look past that and maybe get used to it um and that's just an example of many things in this movie that are kind of over the top and overly extravagant. And I didn't really respond to that well. This movie ultimately was kind of a tale of two halves for me. Um, we'll kind of dig into that a little bit more. But just kind of in response to what the impression you had going in from listening to that podcast, I didn't have that experience. And it actually made me mad listening to that pod. Because mm. similar to like what I said with King Richard, like I find that they have a tendency to be apologetic and forgive things that are problems by calling them intentional. Mm. And I don't I did not give this movie that much credit. I, I think that this movie had a little bit of an identity crisis and wasn't sure if it wanted to be a satire, wasn't sure if it wanted to be a high-class drama. Um, And I think as a result, you kind of got a mixed bag. So 
to say all of the things in that mixed bag were intentional is is apologetic or just wrong, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um what I would say to that is I you know it's interesting when you were saying that my mind went to so this is the second movie Ridley Scott has made this year. Mm-hmm. Um and they you know they filmed this is one of those Clint Eastwood type jobs. They started filming oh, yeah. this in February and got it out really quickly during the pandemic. Which is way more impressive than Cry Macho. Yeah, I guess. That you they think? got this. I think this movie is like just in terms of the production is much more impressive than Right, right. Cry Macho that takes um, place in like three locations. And look, like like we've discussed it before, Ridley Scott is I think a director we all appreciate. And I think if he I was thinking about this, if he had retired after Blade Runner and or maybe after Black Hawk Down, let's say, and and decided to go make videos for Alex Jones. <laughs> Twenty years between those two movies. Yeah. Like I... Well, whatever. I'm mean, like he's made three incredible movies, right? I mean, t- two classics <clears throat> in Alien and Blade Runner. And I know not, you're, you're not a big Blade Runner guy, but... Um, yeah, but it's it has its... its yeah. Well-deserved so, But praise. I think in his latter years, he's got a little of that, like, Clint Eastwood thing. And, and, and it's funny, as these directors get older and maybe they see their, their clocks kind of ticking, they start to work a lot faster. I mean, I kind of wish Martin Scorsese would do that, but, you know, say <laughs> la vie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do uh, this and to your point, I mean, I feel like this movie isn't it, it's not it's not like a to, to sort of use the most extreme version. It's not like a Kubrick movie, Kubrick movie where it feels like everything is so well thought out and planned and intentional. Um, you know, his movies feel bloated sometimes. I think they're good. I think they're well shot. He's a great craftsman and um, I think has interesting ideas, but. You know, in the in the last twenty years or so, his films have felt rushed and and a little bit meandering for me in terms of subject matter. And I think like you can say the same thing about Clint's. Like like you know, where where <coughs> what is this guy interested in his career? You know, what is he? Um, what is he? You know, what's what's he all about? And that's what really I think you know, makes an auteur interesting or makes an auteur an auteur, right? Like I think by the end of PTA's career, if we have the fortitude to endure with this podcast and be talking about him, you know, in 20 or 30 years, uh, we'll, he will, you know, he's already have to do. Yeah, true. He's already got, um, he's already got like a, a filmography that I think there's a, there is a through line and, um, you know, I, I, I find, Ridley Scott to be someone who maybe is like Soderbergh and likes to work, you know, and yeah. his movies, both his career and his movies feel a little like a little um, rudderless. It's interesting <coughs> you say that. I, I, and I don't, I'm not entirely sure that I would be as critical as to say something like rudderless. However, there's been a lot of his movies that I've missed over the last 10 or so years, but for whatever reason, I hold Scott to a higher standard than I do Eastwood anymore. Like Eastwood, obviously for uh, a spell was, you know, very high on my list of directors and he's sort of fallen off there. Um, But you're right. I mean, you know, Ridley Scott kind of has a similar 
career path in that he's making a lot of movies and he's got a few hits sprinkled in and he's got a lot of misses. And for some reason, I get more excited about a Ridley Scott movie now than I do a Clint Eastwood movie. I think in part it's that like, I don't know, like it, to me it seems like he hit his peak in the early <coughs> 2000s. Now you could argue he hit his peak with like Alien and Blade Runner, but you know, he hit this peak at least in my lifetime with these movies, Gladiator, which, you know, we've discussed in Black Hawk Down, which I love. And then it was kind of a, a splattering after that. Like there were different types of movies, you know, as I was learning about movies, I was like, okay, Ridley Scott's the guy that does these big war epics. And then you get movies like A Good Year, Matchstick Men, things like that. And it's just like, okay, well maybe he's going to keep working, but he'll kind of fade out. But he hasn't. And he's keep, continued to make movies with big movie stars and, you know, high production value that get me interested. So with a movie like The Last Duel, which we haven't seen yet, and then again with House of Gucci, like I'm looking at him and saying, okay, Ridley Scott is a visionary director. If he gets his hands on good material, he's going to make a good movie. And House of Gucci seemed like really great material to me. I think just the, the you know, the family saga the Godfather-esque-ness of this movie was appealing. And I thought, while Ridley Scott seemed like maybe not the first director I'd pegged to make this movie, I was excited that he was doing it. So there's something a little bit bigger and more exciting about what Ridley Scott is doing now than what Eastwood is doing. Everything Eastwood is doing now, for the most part, just seems very small and personal and like, it's you can kind of see why he's choosing those because he can get them done fast. But really, Scott did the last duel in House of Gucci, two arguably pretty expensive movies, big budget movies with lots of locations in the same year. That's yeah. a totally different story. So I hold Ridley Scott. My point in all this is that I hold Ridley Scott to a kind of a high standard, maybe higher than I should at this point in his career. So I have to be honest, House of Gucci was probably one of my top two or three most anticipated movies of this year. Really? Um, you know, Licorice Pizza, of course. Um, Don't Look Up, I'm excited about. And and this, I think, was way up there. And if we want to get into it, like I said, it was kind of a tale of two halves. I thought the first half of this movie was painfully boring. Hmm. Like, and I was like, oh my God. And now I knew this had a 59 on Metacritic. That was kind of all I knew. I didn't read any reviews. I'd seen the trailer, but I'm watching this first half and I'm like, oh my God, what is this movie about? Like we are getting introduced to all these characters that are seemingly having really no role in the story. You know, of course we have Lady Gaga playing uh, Patrizia Reggiani um, and we kind of see the movie through her perspective. She marries Adam Driver's Maruzio Gucci who is the son of Rodolfo Gucci, Jeremy Irons, and the nephew of Aldo Gucci, played by Al Pacino. And those two are the uh, primary shareholders of of the Gucci empire. He also has a cousin, Al Pacino's son, played by Jared Leto, Paolo Gucci. Those are kind of your five key characters in this movie. Anyway, Lady Gaga's character comes from, you know, smaller means. She marries into this very rich, prominent family. And there's some glimpses that she you know, is seduced by the the luxury and the power and the status and the money. But for the most part, it's just 
I don't want to say it was dragging, but it was boring. Oh. But this movie did find its stride. It got actually really engaging, and <clears throat> I found the story pretty compelling. And I liked the second half of this movie. So, and I'm still a little torn on how I feel about it overall. The problems are separate from that, though. I can forgive a boring first half if it's essentially setting up a very compelling final act. Like I said, I felt this. I thought this movie had an identity crisis. Was a little directionless. Um, it Scott as a director wasn't sure what he wanted to do stylistically all the time, and I'm sorry, but these performances were tough to get behind. Even the ones that I thought ultimately were good. I think Lady Gaga ultimately was good. I think Driver was good. I think Pacino was good. But God, these accents were distracting. And we can have the accent conversation, Chapin. We've had it before. But that was that I think was a problem with this movie. And to go back to what you opened with, Fennessy and Dobbins and Chris Ryan on that podcast saying it was intentional and it's supposed to be satire and campy and we're and it's you know Jared Leto sounding like Luigi from the Mario Brothers is all the all the point sounds like bullshit to me mm. it was distracting yeah I mean we've we've said it a bunch of times it's like why why do we, I mean it doesn't make any sense that these people are speaking of all the ways to do it how did we land in this world where people are <laughs> speaking the mo- the language English as a language, but in Italian accents? Like, how is that realistic at all? It's sort of, you know, it's... And especially since evidently the last duel... They don't do that. They don't do that. They just speak English with no accents. So that's that's strange to me that they made that decision to have these accents and then to have them be so over the top. Pausing at seventeen minutes and thirty seconds. Uh, I tried no, to I, keep. To- I tried to keep talking while you were gone. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, yeah, I don't want to I mean, spend I too think, much time on the accents. No, like, I don't either. I think. The, I think the. You know, part of me wanted to chalk it up to the fun of the movie. You know, like okay, this is just okay. And that's part. That's the part that I didn't. And I think that came from the impression you were prepared for. Mm-hmm. And I was not prepared for that. And I didn't find that fun i found it uh distracting right okay let's let's move on from that um yeah i agree with you about the performances i mean look like i think trying to find a middle ground here i i i find that argument annoying too like oh you know that's all part of the point right like you know we're gonna make this 75 million dollar movie with all these actors and take all this time during covid to make a movie that you know is not taken seriously because it's meant as a what like you know you've got to be clear about what you're trying to be if you're not trying to be a traditional drama or tell the story of this real family i mean if if, if that's what if if that's what if that's what scott is doing great but then why why choose this style why okay, why exactly that's my question why make this movie like that this is a, a like i've started reading House of Gucci, the um the book that's written by Sarah Gay Forden, um, after I watched this, because similar to something that you said with King Richard last week, is I'm not sure we saw the most interesting part 
or I'm not sure that the, I mean, this movie kind of spans the whole thing, but I'm not sure that the screen time was spent on the most important parts without spoiling anything. I would have liked to have seen kind of those, the two years in the aftermath, um, that is just referenced in kind of the end credits. And I think that, I, I think there's a ton of fascinating things about this story, just the Gucci empire in particular, the fact that it's this family run business that is no longer owned and operated by anybody in the Gucci family. No, the idea of the, just these simple lines of dialogue about how Aldo Gucci is all on board with the $30 fake Gucci bag sold because it, brings awareness to his brand even if it it degrades it i got the and impression like, that they make that they made those yeah maybe i that might have been true too but whatever it was like all that stuff is so fascinating and then you bring patrizia into the story and you know her obsessions this is shakespearean mm. so why make a joke of it mm. if that's what your intention was why make it silly fuck that yeah, I mean it's pretty <laughs> tragic what happens at the end. Yeah, totally. And um, and we're and so we're supposed to say like, oh, it's a satire. Oh, it's uh, me, we're speaking me, in Italian. Let me give you a uh, let me give you a a counterpoint, uh, a devil's advocate argument that I don't Lord, love agree love with. It. Let's look at like what is fashion. I mean, you and I, you know, we're a couple of fashion snobs. I know Jeremy's yep. not, but you I mean, and I are big time. Look at look me. At us. Yeah. Jesus. Like we don't have to wear suits to this, but we did. We dress up for the occasion. Yeah. Just kidding. We don't know a tremendous amount about fashion. <clears throat> um, but the fashion world is an interesting one, right? You know, it's it's an art form, but it's a huge industry. It's very connected to pop culture and celebrity and wealth and money. And I find the um I find these like luxury, I don't know what you want to call them, what Gucci is, um, these luxury brands to be very interesting to think about. I think so too. Just yeah. their ex- just their existence. These lines of yeah, things. I mean, this stuff can cost this much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I out of curiosity, I went on and looked. You know what a what what like what would a Gucci suit cost me? I mean, forget about it. Like a Gucci blazer is like three three thousand dollars at a minimum. And 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 you know like what is what is the role? I mean, these things. Yeah. They, they, you know, they. Create... I, saw, I saw Adam Driver's belt at the end. The Gucci belt he's wearing. And I've yeah. been wearing the same belt for like eight years. That cost you know fourteen dollars at Target, and I was like, "How much does that belt cost?" It's probably mm-hmm. like two grand. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really expensive. There's this air of, um, you know, wealth around it. This air of status, um, yeah, status, yeah. And and but it's also an art form, and it's a it has a role in culture and like you know the 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 fashion shows, um, and. But all of this, well, one is very Italian, right? Like it's it's over the top. Like some of this stuff is very over the top, right? It's and it's ex- it's expressive of, um, of Italian culture in a way. This that they're based in Florence, I think. Um, and so my argument for you is what what if what if Scott was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a movie that is the essence of fashion. Like I'm gonna take what. I see as in in fashion and I'm going to inject that into this movie about this house of, of this designer house. And, you know, Scott is someone who worked in commercials for quite a long time. You know, he's, I think 
I think of him as like a pragmatist or someone who, you know, is not afraid to, you know, warm up to industry and warm up to capitalism and um, spend money. And, and, you know, he may have directed some high fashion um, commercials when he was when he was making commercials with his brother, Tony. Um, But my my. So I'm wondering, you know, does that does that resonate with you at all? Like, okay, this is just like the like you know the the same way that um, a runway show of Gucci is like, oh my god, that's so beautiful, but so over the top, and there's all this ridiculous behavior going on. This these models and Jared Leto shows up in a in a crushed bl- bl- baby blue velvet <coughs> blazer to the premiere, and Lady Gaga's wearing the some crazy dress. I mean, like this, these things are ridiculous, but they have a place in culture in this weird way. And they're revered. The, my, my instinctual answer to your question is may, maybe Scott wanted to kind of strike that same tone with his movie. And if, and if that, my, my instinctual answer is like, okay, well that was a bad decision. Because, like I said, this is a Shakespearean tale that he's saying that he's showing, uh, telling with very high stakes, huge drama, you know, big personalities that I I think I would have preferred been taken seriously. Now, on the flip side, we've kind of seen that movie before, the serious version, right? And with other plots, other stories, like what? So, uh, The Godfather, right? I mean, okay. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe he was like, how can I change the tone of a story that's been told before, essentially? And maybe that was his choice. As you were talking about that, and I, this is the reason I was just looking, and I'm not going to be able to remember. I'll probably end up texting you later. I wish I could remember, but on this unsaid, unnamed podcast that we like to listen to that doesn't need our plugging, there was another movie where they kind of made that same argument and I wish I could remember what it was which movie it was and what the argument was but it was along those same lines that I was just like well the movie's kind of over the top and crazy because that's what fashion is like Mm. and again to me that sounds like apologist speaking Mm. where you're overlooking problems and you're calling things intentional because you want to like the movie fine we've all done that Um, with plenty of movies but the responsible thing to do as a critic is to say whether or not that actually worked and even if that was the intention even if the intention was to say hey you know the fashion world is wild so let's make this movie a little bit wild i don't think it worked yeah no that's fine and it it doesn't have it, it may not work i mean many to continue this weird metaphor like many of those designs don't Make it to your local Gucci store or whatever. That's true. Yeah, as we know from Devil Wears Prada, that not all, not everything gets the uh, nod of right. approval. Right. <clears throat> Which is my favorite fashion movie. Uh, um, I, I, like I said, I'm still kind of bit. torn on my feelings about this movie. I haven't really. I saw it last night. I haven't quite settled in on my on how I felt about it. Um, because I I didn't hate it. I eventually did get used to kind of the over the topness of the accents and things like that. And if you do look past it, you know, 
Lady Gaga's Patrizia is a, a fascinating character, and I think yeah. she's pretty good in this movie. Um, you know, again, you 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 look you you take the accent out of it, and you kind of just look at the body language and the performance underneath that. You know, she and Adam Driver play these kind of polar opposite personalities really well off each other. Um, and I think Pacino is actually, you know, kind of great in this movie most of the time, even though, why does he have to do this accent? Like, can't we, sometimes he sounds like Tony Montana. Sometimes he sounds like, like, you know, a Mario brother, but like, and we you know, know I don't that. Think, I don't think, uh, I don't think Jeremy Irons did it at all. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. And cause he was just like, no, fuck that. <laughs> but like, we know Pacino played Michael Michael Corleone. Like we can, we can uh, accept him as an Italian without the Italian accent. But like, anyway, I, I hate to continue to get off, get, go off on this track. For you know that that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, I think these performances, at least, especially those three, Patri- uh, Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, and Al Pacino, who I think are you know kind of arguably maybe like the three key characters in this movie really kind of embrace the roles and sell Mm. the motives and personalities of the characters. And once I accepted that kind of in the second half of this movie, when you, when you start to see Patrizia's character kind of turn, you know, you start to see her get a little bit crazy. I really started to like this movie. And while I was bored in that first half, I was like really on the edge of my seat for, the second half of this movie. So from a story standpoint, it found its groove and yeah, man, like I, I've always said, if I'm, if I leave a movie and I want to read more about it, which I have done immediately, then there's something about it that's working. So all the issues I've pointed out still think it's, you know, probably a good movie, mm. but I am not sure what, you know, what's your kind of broad impression? Well, I kind of, looked at this as like an all-star game you know like you got the best of the best kind of go you know going all out and playing each other and you know but not taking it too seriously and you know there's really Mm -hmm. no point in the end um and if if that's the case i i I actually liked it i i was entertained the the film is long and i think it dragged a little bit in the you know somewhere like in the set in the second half a little bit Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i liked it I liked it. It's not going to be on it. It's not going to be on my fixie list. Um, I think Ad- Adam driver continues to prove that he's like such a force to be reckoned with. I thought he was so good in this. Like he's, um, you know, this like shy kind of, uh, person at the beginning. Who's, who's a little, you know, wants to separate himself from his family. And, by the yeah, end, he's it's he's just like, like a the Godfather, and then he yeah, yeah he's like a kind of a awful person, and and is and has sort of taken the really the 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 style the sort of um he ultimately like fucks everybody over <laughs> yeah he and he kind of he ruins the company I mean he ruins and that's the company not really a spoiler like you you kind of yeah. see that progression throughout the movie and it's I think that's done really well and 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 in the movie's defense and kind of countering my issues with it is that you know that's 
part of the point of kind of that slow, quote unquote, boring first half of the movie, right? We need to, the idea is that we need to learn who Maurizio was in the beginning to justify who he becomes in the end. I think a little bit of the problem I had is that we were spending so much time with, you know, other characters and like relationships that I didn't think were as important. You know, the relationship between him and his father played by Jeremy Irons, I felt like we could have just done without, right? Like now you, Mm. it's hard to make this family drama without including all the family members, but ultimately, you know, Maurizio and Rodolfo's relationship that falls apart and is then mended. And it, it just seemed like unnecessary screen time. And we spend all this time with, you know, Al Pacino and let, I'm we're we are very obviously saving our Jared Leto conversation for its own segment here, but <laughs> but like I just felt like there was all these introductions of characters that weren't as important as Patrizia and Maurizio, and even like in the second half you have these scenes where Lady Gaga sort of disappears for a little bit, and we mm-hmm. kind of see that transition with Adam Driver taking over Gucci and then losing Gucci and all this stuff, and I was just like get. Lady Gaga back on the screen. Get Patrizia back in this movie. And that is in part a credit to her performance, but also that is the most interesting character in this movie. And this ultimately it's who this movie is about. So I was like, get her back in this. And so that first part of the movie, while it's important, we're just spending so much time with other people that aren't as interesting as Patrizia and Maurizio, who this movie is ultimately about. I would agree with that, but I did like that we started with them and that we didn't get the like House of Gucci overwhelming us right away. You know, like we get a sense yeah, of Yeah, that's in the and that's like the first couple chapters in the book, which I'm only a few chapters in, but like you know, the it it outlines Guccio Gucci who is Aldo and Rodolfo's father and kind of the genesis of the Gucci brand and you know, they're kind of ups and downs before we even meet Patrizia. So yes, this movie definitely did not need that. I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad that the movie opens essentially on Patrizia and introduces her as our main character. You know, and it spans several years and, you know, Jeremy's not here to drink with you, but this is not a biopic, but it it has some biopic tropes. Um, And that's, that you know, can be a problem because you end up having to cover a lot in a I'll small span of time. Of so listeners, Jeremy and Chapin decided last week on the King Richard podcast that they were going to take a drink every time I said biopic, expecting that that was going to be my, you know, point of discussion, which I did bring it up a couple of times, but it wasn't the, the most important thing. Um, anyway, <clears throat> Um, yeah, I think I think that I, you know I love I actually love Gaga too. I mean, I I, I was a real stand for her in um, a Star Is Born, and I think she was really good in this. I mean, she's completely convincing on screen. I think she knows what movie she's in. You can clearly see like that she understands that this is a different performance than a Star Is Born. Um, yeah. And I I think she's great. And and I, I you know I, I yeah I really think that Lady Gaga is is like is it's interesting to see well it'll be interesting to see what happens with her career because I think she is primed to be one of our best actresses working 
Hmm. I don't think she's hit it yet. I think in both performances we've seen from her in Stars Born and this, there's been something that's missing that's prevented it from really working for me. In this case, it's just kind of the distracting accent and the over-the-topness. Stars Born, I'm not actually sure what it was exactly. I'd have to go back and revisit that movie, but I remember liking it but just not loving it. But I really like what she brings, and she loses herself in every role. And for such a famous person, that's really impressive. So I'm excited because I think despite two very prominent and recognized performances she's given, I think the best is yet to come from her, which yeah, is pretty I mean, exciting. That's, that's interesting, yeah. Um, And it's, you know, it's a credit to her talent considering that acting is sort of her second gig. Completely. Um. All right, should should we should we have the Jared Leto conversation? Because I know you've been itching. I know he's your favorite actor. Um, now, the podcast that you referenced was was as forgiving of his performance as everything else in this movie, and they loved it. And Chris Ryan even went so far as to say it's one of the best performances he's ever seen. Shut the Sean Fennessy. Really Sean Fennessy. Um, admitted that Jared Leto is polarizing. So he plays Paolo Gucci, who is sort of a black sheep of the family, pretty dumb, has these, has these ideas and is creative and wants his own clothing line and is, you know, kind of continuously dismissed by every member of the family. And we find out, at the end, in the end credits, that he tragically died in poverty. Um, and Jared Leto totally transforms his appearance um, like no one else does in this movie, even though Adam Driver wears big glasses and Lady Gaga looks different than she usually does. Nobody changes their appearance like Jared Leto does to the point where you wonder why somebody else didn't play this role. But Jared Leto always changes his appearance. It's sort of his thing. Um you know, he's like a, you know, Christian Bale minus. But Chapin, you you despise him as an actor. You really don't like him. You've never really liked him. Um, you know, I think he was good in Requiem for a Dream. But other than that, I agree with you. I don't think he's a particularly good actor. And I find a little bit of what he does annoying. What did you think of him in this movie? Well, it's, it's so over the top. I mean, it's... It, this just the way he talks is just, you know. I, but, Chapin, I, this is a safe space. Yeah, you can you can be as blunt as you'd like. I honestly, I honestly didn't mind it as much as I thought it was. <laughs> I was going to, um, you know, I thought it worked for the movie, and and I kind of like really? looked forward to him coming on and and being super over the top. And, um, I mean, does it? Like I said, like, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I'm not. Um, well, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for um, being unbiased because this is a, for someone who, this is a great performance for someone who hates Jared Leto to hate. Mm-hmm. And you were primed. This was like on the tee for you to be like, fuck Jared Leto, Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. I hated this performance. I thought in a movie that intentional or otherwise was over the top, he was in a different movie. 
That's he true. managed. Yeah. He managed to change the tone of a movie that was already a little directionless with its tone. Like, I, I didn't think he was funny. I thought, even if it was accurate, in like kind of his stupidity. Which I, t- I don't think it is. I mean, I. But forgot. Even if his stupidity is accurate, you can't sell that to an audience. Like you have to, you have to ground it in something. And his character is so ungrounded. And I just think an actor like Jared Leto playing this part really hurts the character's credibility. And what I mean by that is we have to look at Paolo Gucci through several different lenses as we watch this movie. We have to embrace the idea that this is the black sheep of the family, that he's kind of stupid. Nobody really wants him to do any of his designs. Nobody thinks that he's creative and smart. You know, he's sort he's the Fredo of the family, for lack of a better comparison <laughs> again. Right? So we have to embrace that idea, which we could do if you have a John Cazale-esque actor appearing in that role. But instead, okay. we have Jared Leto but totally Lee, transforming his appearance into something the, ridiculous this, looking this to play this character. This isn't, the God, this isn't The Godfather. The Godfather okay. is a movie that spends a lot of time in, you know, trying to, you know, striving for verisimilitude, striving for realism. I hate using that term, but I just don't have a better one at the moment. But like subtle performances, you know, realistic okay, performances, but- performances that are evocative and this movie isn't interested in that. Everybody but that's not in this my movie, point. including um <clears throat> you know, Adam Driver is going ham on <clears throat> all these all these roles and and chewing the scenery like like you wouldn't believe and and Okay, but that's Leto not my point. Leto is just doing that tenfold, dis- which which but, is and I don't also, know, I don't know what he's doing in this movie. I don't. But I don't he's know. also doing it in disguise, which adds this whole other element that we're supposed to try to wrap our heads around. That okay, he's trying to bring realism to this character by looking like him, even though Jared Leto looks nothing like him. So we have to we have to wrap our heads around. This is Adam Driver disguised as somebody else, hamming it up and playing this over-the-top character. It's just too many steps for us to take as an audience. Instead, instead of what we say, we're like, okay, Al Pacino, hamming it up. Adam Driver, hamming it up. Lady Gaga, hamming it up. Fine. I don't love that, but I can accept that. Whereas in this case, why, why transform an actor into this character for us to then accept a exaggerated version of the character. It's like asking us to take these multiple steps before we can accept what is happening in the movie. And I hope this makes sense because like, I don't have an actor off the top of my head, Jeremy, um, or maybe you brought it up and I don't think he would have been right for the role, but you said Paul Giamatti is annoyed because Jared Leto keeps taking his roles. And, you know, Paul Giamatti is, like, roughly the age that Paolo Gucci is in this movie, and he's bald and could probably pl- play dumb. I don't think he would have been right in this role, but somebody else that we don't have to 
suspend our disbelief twice because Jared Leto has made a career out of transforming his appearance. I thought the makeup was very good. It was very good. But if it was an if it, if it was any other if it was an actor that hadn't done this often or every time he makes a movie, then maybe I could be more forgiving of the appearance change. Mm-hmm. But like it's almost like Ridley Scott was like, I want you to play Paolo Gucci. I know you don't look like him. Don't worry about it. Right. That's not what I'm interested in. Well, have and you seen pictures Jared Leto's of Paolo? Like, no, 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 no. Have you seen I'm pictures gonna... of Paolo? He's not that, that he doesn't look like they, the way they made him look. He looks like a normal guy. Right. But that's, and we've always made that joke about like Jared Leto is like, takes these roles and the director's like, no, that, he doesn't look like that. You don't need to gain any weight. And he's yeah. just like, well, I'm going to gain 60 pounds. Yeah. And I just was reading, I was trying to get, you know, into character for, for my, um, intro and I was lo- trying to get his accent down and, um, you know, like evidently he like wanted to come to set as Paolo and wanted to be known. Like, this isn't a realistic, like, you know, method performance. This is, this is the guy chewing on the scenery and having fun like, in makeup. This is like Jared Leto. Regardless of what you think of his acting abilities, he is the worst method actor alive. Like he he thinks he's being method and is just like just following like the the checklist of what you're supposed to do when you're method. But yeah, I just found his I just found his performance to just be obnoxious and annoying and I wanted him off the screen where I think the intention was the opposite i think they were like oh like he's chewing the scenery but it's funny and it's adding like a levity to this movie like we need him on screen more and i i just i really hated it i really thought it was just in a different movie yeah and i mean I, knowing his reputation like that made it worse i wish jeremy was here because i feel like he could be a tiebreaker and i'm I not agree. i'm not like against you i'm i'm just like you know i appreciated this for what it was i guess yeah, see, I, I'm annoyed that you, you, you were, you were poisoned before you watched the movie by by that take, because I can understand where if you you heard, you know, the idea that this is like an intentionally over the top satirical, self aware movie that you'd go into it and embrace that idea. I guess like and okay. I think that even if that is intentional, I think that failed. I think that didn't work and I think that was my biggest sure. problem with this movie. And, and that might be the case and I don't know that I, ne- I don't I don't know that I disagree with you, but like think about the departed, right? The departed is a movie that is it really interested in like what it's like to be undercover and all that? Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. But it's really about that movie is really about like these titans of acting you know, kind of doing boss. I mean, it's, it's actually quite similar, right? The Boston accent, the, the, yep. you know, kind of chewing the scenery. Um, and it's just great to watch for that reason. But you know what that movie does that this one doesn't, I think is it strikes a consistent tone. It does. It does. It's, it's got an auteur at the helm, which I don't know that Ridley Scott is. Oh I man. Actually I don't think, think he that is. he is. I don't think he really? is. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I think, I think this movie to your, you just made the point for me. I mean, the departed has that Goodfellas wit to it. It's got that bite. And yeah, that's, I guess. Yeah. 
Ridley sense, Scott's movies are too different. That, that sense of irreverence, that and uh, irony that um, that Scorsese brings to things, and it's you know what what can what does Scott bring to this? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think he's in a tour when he's work. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I think he's in a tour when he's working within a certain genre. You got to tell me um, how this connects back to Black Hawk Down. You got to tell me how this connects to Alien. Yeah, you got to tell me how. You're right. You're totally right. But he has it's what and that's a little bit what's interesting about his his movies because like I could tell you how this connects back to a movie like American Gangster or All the Money in the World or something like that. So like he works within these different genres and different storylines and plots. And there's one clearly where he is, I think, an auteur. And I think that is in, I don't know, can we connect Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down? Can those, can he be an auteur with those four movies? Are those similar enough? They're like very visionary and storyboarded and like. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know what Um, I mean? I I got I just gotta be honest with you that like the, the when we reviewed Gladiator I was like I was just I was very disappointed by it. And, I mean Gladiator's terrible. Gladiator's not that good. I shouldn't say it's terrible. It's not yeah. that good. I'm just including it because it's one of his most famous movies. But um, you make a very good point because he you know he's that's why I was so I mentioned this kind of at the top. Like it was strange to me after you know I'm in high school. I see Gladiator. Of course I love it at the time. I see Black Hawk Down the next year. I love it at the time. I still love that. And then he does movies like, you know, I want to take a look at the his filmography just kind of to get the order right. But he does. I remember I, I remember seeing Matchstick Men in the in the theater and being like, this is the same director as those other two movies. Yeah, that came after Black Hawk Down. And then he did Kingdom of Heaven. And it was like, okay, back to his, you know, wheelhouse, his forte. I've never seen the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. Have you? I hear it's very good. The, I didn't yeah. like Kingdom of Heaven. No, I, I, I've i been trying to figure out a way to see it. Um, and then he does A Good Year, right? Which I like. <laughs> American Gangster, which we saw at the Grove. Yeah, and fight broke out. Fight, fight broke out. But God, I love that movie. Yeah, I don't um, love that. I don't love that movie. Maybe I need to see it again. Um, Body of Lies. Robin Hood, again, back to... Like, he jumps around in genres, right? He has, like... He has a good year, but American Gangster, Body of Lies. I mean, a good year maybe is a little different, but like these like, you know, modern day crime movies. And then he has Robin Hood, you know, a historical sword and sandal piece. Um, but but awful. I didn't see it. I'd love for you to watch that. The Counselor, All the Money in the World, House of Gucci. And then, of course, this year you have Last Duel. Like, so he just kind of has these like separate genres where I think maybe he's in a tour in each one you in know a way. I, I had a dream of us doing The Last Duel and this movie at the same time. And I knew it would so never you know happen. I knew, I, I knew it would never happen. I thought that um, The Last Duel was on Disney Plus December 1st today, but that's actually only in the UK. Ugh. So it's actually still not available. Um, for free, but it is available on uh, premium VOD to buy, so we could watch it for twenty bucks. Um. Anyway, I think you make an interesting point about Ridley Scott. He's obviously a very prolific director. He's made a lot of different types of movies, dating all the way back. I mean, this is not a new development. He did Thelma and Louise in nineteen ninety one. Um, 
so he's dabbled in a lot of genres. So it does it does call into question whether or not he is a true auteur in the way that a Scorsese or Tarantino or PTA is or whoever you want to point out. Um, I think he is in many ways because I look at him as a a visionary, someone who has the image of the movie in his head when he makes it start to finish. And so when I see movies like House of Gucci where that didn't appear to be the case, I get frustrated. I'm very curious to see The Last Duel, to see if, you know, his making movies, you know, two at a time is impacting, you know, the quality. I don't know if that's the problem with this movie. I just think it was, it had tonal issues. It had, you know, direction issues. Like, I I didn't love the way he used music in this movie. He... There's like random scenes where he decides to like just fade into black and white for no reason. Why? I didn't I understand that. that. Yeah. Um, and you know, then there's you know there's these scenes that are like slowly paced and dialogue driven. Then there's these like nightclub scenes that are like you know angles all over, overheads, you know, low angles, close ups, and I, I'm like, what are what what's you know what's your vision here, yeah. Ridley Scott and that's what I, I said I, earlier. Yeah. So, look, like I, I take all that stuff into account, and that's why I get mad when I hear critics I respect gush over a movie and just say everything was intentional. The thing is, with with those two on the big picture, I, I don't, and I think they may have said something similar, I don't think they are critics in the true sense of the word. They're, they aren't here to, like, give you an unbiased opinion of a movie. I think they are, I don't know, hopefully why people, why the 12 people who have made this podcast, the most listened to podcast of theirs of 2021, one of those 12 people hopefully look to us for, you know, I mean, Jeremy's here to give unbiased opinion, but for us, like, you know, we're telling our opinion and, and, and what we see in movies and what we love about them. And I think that's what I like about the big picture and what I like about the other podcasts that I listen to. Um, well, here's the thing is even if they aren't critics and maybe that's true because they're not kind of, they, they very rarely, you know, break down a movie completely. They discuss their thoughts on it and stuff. But the thing that I actually admire about them is that they are all, or they have been in the past. They are always honest. Mm -hmm. And with King Richard and House of Gucci, I'm like, guys, do you really believe this? Especially King Richard, but like. so I, I I didn't finish the the King Richard podcast, but my impression for of that was that they liked it and they were nice about it. I don't think it's going to make you, any of those guys' top list of the year. Probably not. Um, well, probably Bill Simmons, but <laughs> I actually don't think so. And sometimes I think he's like the most discerning of all of them. You know, he he I I'm always impressed with how well he kind of breaks down movies on the rewatchables. You know, he, he has kind of what I want in his ability to watch movies and to just love them for what they are and love them for what they mean to him. And that's sort of what the rewatchables is all about, which is why I like that podcast. He's certainly not somebody I go to for movie recommendations, you know, but I like, I'm always impressed with how he's able to kind of, just break down 
you know, a movie and say like, look, this worked and this didn't work. And I think he arguably does that better than Sean Fennessy sometimes, who I think like me can get in his own way and kind of just like use it. He takes his movie knowledge, which he has even more, much more than I do. And he's seen everything and he takes that and it works against him at times. But when he lets that go on the big picture podcast, I get frustrated because I think that I think he's being dishonest with his listeners and with himself about movies. And I think that happened with King Richard for sure. I'm not sure if that happened um, with House of Gucci, I think maybe he gets a little fanboyish when he's with Chris Ryan. So, um, yeah, here we are on our podcast, just talking about a much more popular podcast. Maybe, but not maybe to those twelve. Popular. We're not, not actually not, not to those sure. twelve people. That's true. That's true. <sighs> All right. Well, this is interesting. I, I, re- God, we need Jeremy to see this movie. He won't. Though. He won't. Though. Well, he'll have to see it. No, he won't. He's, he's got to see it. He's falling behind. But I was the just good thinking. Thing... The, I was thinking the other day. You know, he just needs to quit his job, and so he can dedicate himself a little more seriously to the podcast. I know. I've been saying that for a long time. Um, the good thing is that things are available streaming very quickly after they're out of theaters. Even if you have to buy them and pay a little extra, it's. I think we'll have the opportunity to see everything we need to see before. February 25th in Las Vegas. Oh, it's shit. It's when, I meant to buy my ticket yesterday. You said that every day for about two weeks. <laughs> I don't know what flight prices are like, but they weren't terrible when we bought them. I don't care. Doesn't matter. And write, nope. write it off. You know what's annoying is that all these pl- people want to pay for our flights and our accommodations, but it's Can't not about it. that. It's not about that. You know, Ridley called me himself. He said, you know, You've named your daughter after me. I have I'd two love, movies out this year. Yeah, I have two. I'd, lo- I'd love to. I'd love to take care of your flight and your accommodations at the Aria, and I'd love to treat you guys at Le Cirque. Um, where I think that's in the Bellagio. I had to say no. Yeah, which please. is you know it's hard, but that's it's the you, it was the right thing to do. Um, yeah, you I had, that scene it was from extras when he goes. Ridley Scott's on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, wrap this up. Well, I thank you so much for listening to this. This was an amazing podcast about the House of Gucci and the Jared Leto and Pacino, my favorite actor. Jared Leto, it's a cut of windy Husker. He must, he must win it. Oh, we taping, we were amazing. We were flying like a pigeon. He must win. The Fixie and the Oscar Best Supporting Actor. If he wins a fucking Oscar, I'll fucking never watch the Oscars again, which I've said a thousand times. You've said said it so many times, but maybe you really will live with it this time. He's already won Best Supporting Actor. Okay, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with, what's it called, Lee? Hair of the Dog? Hair of the Dog. The Power of the Dog. The the Power of the Dog. When are we going to see fucking a licorice pizza? Oh, shit. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.